Good morning. Welcome to Trinity Heights. Um, my name is Stephen Churn. Good to have you with us here this morning. Um, some, someone said to me first thing this morning, they said, you, you dressed a bit prepperier than usual, Stephen. You, you actually look like a pastor. Um, so there's something I've been working on for a number of years now. And uh, it's, it's funny, in New York, it's happened a few times where, where people discovered I'm a pastor and they're like, you sure you're a pastor? So I, I'm not sure if that's a good thing or not. But um, so this morning, uh, Julia Kraut was going to do our reading, but she is fighting her way across the park through the marathon crowds, I think. So, so um, I will do the reading for us instead. So it's from Colossians, and Paul says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourself of such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which has been renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, Put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. So in our previous church, um, which one or two of you have, have been to, I know Austin, you, you've been there, I, I was part of a really interesting community group. In that group, there were people who did not like the policies of George W. Bush, especially his foreign policies. Um, but there was also someone in that group who was working for Secret Service, and actually it was his role to head up security for George W. at one of his residences. Uh, and so he has all these photos of himself with, with the bushes at, at the White House and, and at the ranch. In that same group, there were also people in that group who would have identified theologically as young earth creationists. This means that they believe that the earth is created in six literal 24-hour periods and is only a few thousand years old. There were other people in the same group who said, no, 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 the earth is billions of years old and, and life on earth has been this evolving process. And of course, God is the one who undergirds all of existence and brings about all of this variety that we have through this process. Uh, there were also people in the same group who were very anti-gun. Never mind the Second Amendment, just we've got to get rid of all guns. That's the problem in America. Uh, in the same group, there was also someone who was not just a gun owner, but was actually a gunsmith. He literally made his living making weapons, making, manufacturing guns. You know what the gunsmith gave to one of the anti-gun members in the group for Christmas one year? And I know it sounds like the beginning of a joke, but it's, it's actually not, this is real. He, he, the, the gunsmith gave the anti-gun member in the group a Lee Enfield rifle from World War II, an antique rifle, very, very thoughtful gift. These people aren't just slightly varied in their views. They're at the opposite ends, politically, socially, theologically, philosophically, at the opposite ends and poles of the spectrum of belief. 
Now, this group was diverse in other ways. Uh, black people, white people, Chinese, Indian, Cambodian, Korean, Rwandan, and the ones you really had to watch in that group were the Armenians. Um, so some, some were from very different educational backgrounds. There, there were doctors, medical doctors in the group at the top of their game, and there was another guy in that group who hadn't ever finished college, but actually uh, just got out of 15 years uh, prison serving a 15-year prison sentence. Interestingly enough, it was that guy who ended up leading that group later on and running circles around everyone else, and I'm, I'm not even kidding. Um, but what hope is there for a group like that with such divergent politically, social, theological, philosophical views? You would think that a group like that could become very dysfunctional very, very quickly. It wouldn't take much. The kindling's all day. just got to light a match and, and watch it go up in flames. So, so what, what happens for a group like that? I think it's worth asking that question this morning because, because even though I'm talking about a very particular group that I was part of a number of years ago, I might just as well be describing us. Because here's what happens. This is how, how this works out over time. So whenever people first get together, or maybe they're getting together after a very long time of not being together, like we are, relaunching Trinity Heights, replanting this congregation, it's all very exciting. And, and so some of you are brand new and you're first getting together. Some of you are getting together after a long time, but, but we're getting together again, it's all new and it's fresh and, and there's this sort of honeymoon period and there's a lot of goodwill. Uh, and, and we're all thankful after a year and a half of not being able to be together, to be together again in person. That's, that's great, warm fuzzies, warm fuzzies, warm fuzzies, right? But then what happens over time is that I discover, I discover that Caitlin thinks this about that. I can't believe it. Uh, and then I discover that Jay actually views the world this point. And I'm thinking, what, what are you thinking? How can you, see, how can you look at the world this way? What, what is going on? And those people over there think this, and those people over there think that. And of course, it's never over just the piddling stuff, right? The stuff that doesn't really matter, we can just blow it off. It's always, about, it's always about the stuff that really matters, the stuff that's near and dear to our hearts, the stuff that really counts. And we discover over time that there's a bunch of different people in this room who we disagree with on a bunch of different issues. Now what are we gonna do? Shouldn't really point this out now because it's the moment I point this out, honeymoon's over, right? Now you all look at each other suspiciously and, and uh, perhaps at the end of the service you'll be sort of backing up towards the elevators wearily, right? Um, but before we, before, we do that, before we do that, what other options are there? This is actually something that the church in Colossae was dealing with because look, they, they were in a city which was a very diverse, they were a crossroads of the world type of place, right? It was a major center of trade and commerce. There were people from all over the world there, not to mention uh, just to do business, but also because so many people had been repatriated there by different uh, empires in, in years gone by. So, so there's this multitude of cultures, multicultural, multi-ethnic situation. And so it was much more like having, say, a church in New York City, if you want to compare it, than a church somewhere out in small town Indiana. Or, or something. I, I just picked that because you know you, you're from over there, uh, Eric. And um, and and so there's just a, a, a very anything but monocultural situation that they were in, and they were facing the same question: Where do we go from here? Now, what do we do? Divergent views, socially, politically, culturally, theologically. What do we do? And one of the things that you'll notice whenever you get a group of people. Socially, politically, theologically, philosophically divergent. 
opposites of the spectrum, what you'll find is that at some point, someone is going to come along and they're going to push from one end of the spectrum or the other, or maybe both are the same. Someone's going to push for agreement on a whole slew of different issues. It is going to happen. It happens every time. Someone's going to come along and say, hey, these, if we, and that's what was going on in this church. They, they were saying, look, if we want to be really part of this body of believers, you want to be part of the body of Jesus Christ, you want to be truly full, fully fledged member of the church, here's what we've got to do. We've got to get agreement on these things. You, we want to know that you've had certain spiritual experiences. Be part of this community? What spiritual experiences have you had? Have you had the right ones? We want to know that you are following certain parts of the Jewish law. Are you following these parts of the Jewish law? Are you following these rituals or these dietary restrictions? Or there, there was a whole, do, do you believe these particular things? Because if you don't, then you cannot, we cannot be together. And, and, we, and we, cannot, we, we cannot be with each other and we cannot be for each other. If you want to know how we know why this, that this is going on, this is what Paul says. He says, therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These were a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They're puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. So there were obviously dietary rules that, that were being brought into play here. There were religious days to be observed. There were special experiences uh, that people had to have. And they were using these things to size people up. They were using them to judge people, verse 16, and to disqualify people, verse 18. Judge and disqualify, disqualify and judge. All the stuff that makes church life so much fun. Um, and then once we attach membership to the church, to any of these things that we've just been talking about, what ends up happening is you have to work really, really hard to, to get agreement on, on all of these things. That were, you know, so uh, which are the experiences? How, which experiences do people have to have? Which, which are the viewpoints that people have to hold? Which are the, which are the uh, rituals that people have to follow? What, what are the observances? So what are, what are the, we have to work really hard, and this, and this list is always growing. It's always growing, and this becomes the boundary marker to determine who's in and who's out. Who's in and who's out. The trouble is, you never really know for sure whether you're in or out because that list is always growing. So the boundary is always moving with that list, right? My, um, my favorite example of this uh, used to be, and I say used to be, and I'll explain why in a minute, used to be the Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses are a cult. No, not because they disagree with my theology. It's nothing to do with theological beliefs. It's, it's, it's the sociological definition of a cult they meet that criteria, there's a certain amount of social pressure which produces a certain amount of uniformity. Now, I don't know how much social pressure you have to have and exactly how much uniformity you have to see before it becomes a cult, but you, you kind of know it when you see it. And so with the Jehovah's Witnesses, what happens is if you just veer off just slightly of any one of their long list of, of different official positions on any number of things on life and belief, what ends up happening is you will be disfellowshipped 
Now, disfellowship means that your friends and your family will cut you dead and they will just stop talking to you. Um, some of you know that Julia was brought up as a Jehovah's Witness from the age of seven. Uh, by the time she reached uh, 16, she started to have some doubts and questions and, and really had a lot of um, things, she, different ideas about things that weren't in line with the official position. So her own mom stopped talking to her. Her friends would see her coming in the street and then just cut her dead. As I said, certain amount of, certain amount of social pressure that produces a certain amount of uniformity. Not sure how much exactly, but you kind of know it when you see it. They're driving for agreement. They're driving for agreement. Now I say the Jehovah's Witnesses used to be my favorite example of, of what I'm talking about here. But actually these days, I keep getting sent, I keep getting sent all of these articles right, about what's going on in the conservative evangelical church which at the moment seems to be just tearing itself apart or imploding, in large part because they're pushing and driving for this agreement on any number of issues. And what we're discovering is it's, it's not really Christianity, it's, it's politics dressed up as Christianity. It's not really the church, it, it, it's sort of some political group or other, or some social part of and, and so that's on one end. And on the other end, which we would think this is just the extreme polar opposite, we've got sort of what is woke culture, where, where people are canceling each other out. Cancel grandpa because he voted for the wrong person, you know? I'm not, I'm not, these are real, real conversations I have with people, right? So, so this, is, this, is, this is reality that we're, we're living in. And while it seems that these are, you know, the conservative evangelical church and woke culture, these are, these are sort of... Um, extreme ends, they've got nothing to do with each other, they're, they're the flip side of the same coin. Very often what they're doing is playing the same game, uh, the same rules, just in a slightly different arena. Now, now don't get me wrong, woke back in the day and evangelical back in the day used to mean have a much more positive connotations. Woke was about being aware of, of the way in which systems were oppressing people. And, and then there was this sense of evangelical being a loving Jesus follower. Now these terms, very often, depending on where you're standing on the spectrum, these terms mean highly intolerant person who can't stand it when someone disagrees with them. The driving for agreement. Here's the interesting thing, is that when Paul says, you people need to be together, and you need to be with each other and for each other, he has nothing to do with getting them to agree on any number of these, these issues. Instead, it has to do with posture. And so here's what Paul says. He says, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. So there he's saying that. He's saying, yeah, we've got all, he's recognizing there are all these things which we can divide over. And he's saying, but that's not going to happen here. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. So he's saying, look, this is your posture. Never mind about, well, we don't agree on these things. No, no, never mind about what you agree on and don't agree on. Here's your posture. Here's your posture towards each other. First of all, 
First of all, you're not going to be angry and in a rage and have malice towards each other. You're not going to slander each other. You're not going to cuss each other out. You won't lie to each other. Never mind what you agree on. But we don't agree on. No, no, never mind what you agree on. This is what you're not going to do. Your posture towards each other is not going to look like this. And then he says, in fact, you're going to be compassionate and kind to each other. But we don't agree on, no, never mind what you don't agree on. You're going to be humble around each other. This is, I'm interested in your posture towards each other. You're going to be gentle with each other and you're going to be patient with each other and you will forgive each other because you're going to hurt each other and then you're going to forgive each other. Why? Because you're going to love each other. Because love is a thing that binds all the other virtues together. We don't get unity from getting everyone to agree with each other. That's impossible. Thankfully, thankfully, Jesus doesn't ask us to do the impossible. He doesn't. He doesn't ask us to agree with each other. What he asks us to do is to love each other. Love one another as I have loved you. And that has nothing to do with any of the, those, those things that we might make it about. Um, you know, one of the things that, that has been said during our prayers of the people, each week we've had someone pray for different places, uh, Syria and Iraq, Yemen, and this morning Somalia. And what I've appreciated about something that Eric has, has said each time it's been his turn, uh, and, and actually, Caitlin, you said that again this morning, is, is that we're, we're thinking beyond our borders and we're actually praying about something which we can't quite wrap our minds around because no matter what devastation we've experienced in our lives, it's never quite on that scale, especially collectively. It's never, not quite, it's not even close to the scale of devastation that these people experience in these war-torn countries. Right? It's, just, it's just we're thinking about something that's out of our realm of, of incredibly comfortable comparatively comfortable experience, right? So I really appreciate that, that and it's, I think it's really important that the people leading the prayers have, have pointed this out each week before we've prayed, so that's really helpful. But while it's, it's hard for us to wrap a mind around the devastation that these people experience, it's not that hard to understand the sort of tribalism that leads us there, because our cultural context is working very hard on it now. And, and Eric had this conversation uh, a few months back where he said, look, you know, in, in this genocide in, in somewhere like Rwanda where the Hutus and Tutsis macheted each other to death, we, we, we're laying the foundation for that now. And the response is, oh, no, 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 we're too sophisticated, for, we're too advanced for that. We're too, we're too, we're too progressive. The, 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 the same person who said, no, we're too advanced for that, which is just completely naive, actually then uh, a, a few months later was saying, all those people in the Midwest who don't want to wear masks and don't want to get vaxxed, they should just die. <laughs> We're too advanced for that. By the time the Hutus and the Tutsis in Rwanda got around to slaughtering each other, there had been ideas and identities which had grown to monstrous proportions. Ideas and identities which became so important that they were more important than the person in front of them. It's incredibly naive to think we've reached some pinnacle of progress which exempts us from going there. That's why one of our mantras here, and I'll, I'll finish here, one of our mantras here at Trinity Heights, I, I said this to the, the, the college kids at, at uh, Illumina the, a few weeks ago, one of our mantras at Trinity Heights is that there is no idea and no identity that is more important than me 
loving the person in front of me. I'll say that again because I really want this to be, one of, it is one of our mantras, and I want this, everyone to be able to recite this. There is, no, there is nothing, there is no identity and no idea that is more important than me loving the person that is right in front of me. There isn't. Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you. Um, and so I hope that if someone asks you, well, what's Trinity Heights like as a church? What, what, do you, what do you stand for? I hope you'll tell them. Well, first off, there's no idea and there's no identity that is more important than me loving the person in front of me.